Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. So tonight, we are going to talk about the book of Revelation in 60 minutes. We are not doing an exhaustive teaching. I already have a nine-part series on my channel where I go through every single verse in the book of Revelation. So tonight, if you hear something, say, well, you didn't explain that. Go to my channel and watch those extended videos. I cannot explain 22 chapters of one of the most complex books in the Bible in one hour. But what I can do by the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's help is explain to you guys an overview of what's happening in the book of Revelation. Again, not exhaustive, but talk about why it's so important that we know about the book of Revelation. For those of you that are like, I'm not going to watch 12 hours of your Revelation teaching. You can jump on here for an hour and I'll give you an entire overview. And this book that's been mystified people like what is i don't understand revelation i hope i can unpack some of this stuff and make it simple and i believe what's going on in the world right now if there's any time to understand the book of revelation now would be the time to understand revelation so i want you to know this as we start is not the book or it's not the revelation of the antichrist as many people think i know we get caught up with the mark of the beast the antichrist the the plagues the trumpets all that this is the revelation of jesus christ that's what this book is about It's not the revelation of the end times. It's not the revelation of the mark of the beast. Come on, I see you guys in discord. It's not the revelation of the tribulation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if we want to get to know Jesus, I know many of you think this is overwhelming this book. We want to know the book of Revelation because it reveals the end time plan of God. It literally shows us what is God's end time plan. God doesn't hide it. He doesn't make the secret. He puts out his end game in a book and I'm, I hate to give you a spoiler here, but we win in the end. This is the beauty of the God that we serve is we're on the winning side. Friend, don't live like you're on the losing team. We are on the winning side of history. Our God is alive. He is active. He is moving. And at the end of it all, we are going to win this thing. Our God is coming back for his people. He's not a man that he should lie. Some of you say, why is he being so slow? And the Bible makes it clear. Peter says it's because he's being patient so that everybody can be saved. He wants all of us to come to repentance. And so God is not up there going, I'm never coming. He's coming. He's just being patient. And remember, one day is a thousand and a thousand is one day. So we're on the winning side. The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which comes from the where we get the word apocalypse from. Now, when most people hear apocalypse, they think of a catastrophe or a terrible, a terrible event, but that's not what the word means. The word means an unveiling or a disclosure. It speaks of uncovering or re, un, I see you guys posting memes here in the general chat, praise the Lord, or revealing something that has been hidden. So God says this. Tonight, what we're talking about is God is unveiling and God is revealing his end time plan in the earth. And I don't know about you, but I want to know what is God's plan? I want to, I want to see what God is doing. And so I love this book. It's probably my favorite book in the Bible. If I had to only pick one, they're all, all the books of the Bible are amazing, but this is probably one of my favorite and the book of revelation, according to revelation one, three is a book of prophecy. It's not a book of symbolism, allegories, riddles. It is a book of prophecy and it makes specific and incredibly precise predictions of future events. So in other words, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this stuff's going to happen. This is not if you believe it's going to happen. If you think it's going to happen, what we're talking about tonight is absolutely going to happen. Is some of the stuff terrifying? Yes. Is some of the stuff devastating? Yes. Will there be billions of people killed in the tribulation? Yes. 
but God has so many redeeming factors throughout the seven-year tribulation we're going to see tonight, and so I believe it's very, very important, but I got to get into this if we're going to get through this tonight. So again, I'm going through all chapters, and I'm going to give you an overview of every single chapter. It's not exhaustive. You can go on the channel if you want to watch the over 12 hours of teaching we've done on this, but this is going to be one hour book of Revelation. It's written, the author of the book is John, so we know John is writing this down on the island of Patmos. John is part of Jesus's inner circle along with James and Peter. And so Jesus gave this message to an angel. The angel gave it to John. So the father gives it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to an angel. The angel brings the message to John. But ultimately, God is the author of the book of Revelation, just like all the other scripture. It's God breathed and God inspired. So let's go into, we're going to go through chapter by chapter overview. And again, this is not exhaustive. I'm going to try to do two to three minutes on every single chapter, see if we can do this. And if we can, it's going to be amazing because it's a lot to go over. But we're going to go Revelation chapter one. John's going to open up the book by introducing the main character of the entire book and that is Jesus Christ so John opens with Jesus is the main theme he's the main character not the Antichrist not the Armageddon not the locusts that come out of the ground Jesus Christ is the main theme of the book of Revelation and he's going to be not just the main theme he's going to be the main character throughout the entire book and I want you to note something because I've heard a lot of people and it's okay you didn't know but a lot of people say the revelations the book of revelations okay and it's okay I thought that at one time before but it's not revelations it's revelation and specifically it's the revelation of Jesus Christ singular not plural so it's not the book of revelations but a book of revelation meaning it offers revelation of a person so not just things everyone's saying I thought that in the chat it's okay but it offers revelation of a person that being Jesus Christ so Jesus Christ takes the center stage and look you're already learning how to say the name of it that's awesome so Jesus Christ will take the center stage and that's the intro of the book of uh, chapter one chapter one also talks about God's promising a blessing to those who read it hear it and keep the word this is in Revelation 1 3 God and I won't read all the verses verse by verse because we will never have the time but basically this is the only book of the Bible that God says I will I will give you a blessing I promise you a blessing if you read it hear it and if you keep it so there's a blessing tonight and there's a benefit to reading Revelation this is in Revelation Revelation 1 3 God blesses the one who reads this or reads the words of this prophecy to the church and he blesses all who listen to the message and obey what it says so he blesses those that speak it those that hear it and those that obey it and then it says for the time is near so think about this the book is saying Revelation shows us in the right in the beginning read me and you're going to be blessed listen to me and you're going to be blessed so tonight I praise the Lord that I'm going to be blessed by teaching it you're going to be blessed by hearing it and we're all going to be blessed by obeying it so it's an incredible thing here we go into the blessing it also establishes in chapter 1 in Revelation 1 5 that Christ is the ruler of all rulers and there's coming a day where God will reign and rule over all the nations of the earth he's the king of kings the Lord of Lords the Alpha the Omega the ruler of all rulers but there's coming a day where he's gonna rule on the earth every nation every tongue every tribe okay so we know the letters from John chapter one it's to the seven churches in the province of asia and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood that's revelation 1 4 through 5. jesus is also established as the alpha and the omega he's everything from the beginning to end that's revelation 1 8 so that's the central theme is he's the alpha the omega the beginning of the end the one that was and is and is to come the almighty one revelation 1 8 says revelation 1 12 through 13 says then I turned to the sea 
Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands was like the Son of Man, clothed with garment down to the feet and girded about with the chest of a golden band. So the seven lampstands symbolize seven churches and the se and seven church periods, okay? So these represent church periods and literal, also literal churches. So Jesus Christ is the great high priest of the church. He works on our behalf to reconcile our relationship that was damaged by sin back to the Father. This is what Revelation 1 is laying out for us. It also lays out that Jesus holds the keys to death and hell since he conquered both. He conquered death and he conquered hell. And Revelation 1.18 shows us he's not just the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Alpha, the Omega, but he also has the keys to death and to hell. Meaning if our God has the keys, we don't need to fear death, hell, or the grave because he's overcome them. He's risen from the dead. He's never going to die again. His crucifixion will not be repeated, and he holds the keys. So that means he's in total control. If you have the keys to something, according to Revelation chapter 1, he has the keys, it means you are in control. So he's now in control of death. He's now in control of hell. He holds the keys, and we no longer have to fear. So that's chapter 1. We're doing good here. It's chapter 1. It's establishing Jesus Christ as the author, as the beginning, as the end, as the finisher, the one that was there before time even started, the one that's outside of our paradigm of chronological time, and he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he will sovereignly rule the earth and all the nations. And we're gonna go into chapter two. Chapter two is gonna be these seven letters we talked about that are now being written by John, but really it's Jesus inspiring them to these churches. So chapter two, if you're following along and writing notes, is the first four churches and letters to address letters addressed to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and Thyatira. And each letter is going to explain the church's problems and then offer a solution. So Ephesus being the church that lost its first love, Jesus's remedy for losing your first love is you need to remember, you need to repent, and you need to return. So that was the church that they've lost their love. They forgot why they started. And that's a word for many of you. You need to remember when you first got saved. You need to repent and you need to return. Smyrna is going through persecution and Jesus's solution is, hey guys, I know you're being persecuted, but you need to remain faithful. Pergamos, this was a church suffering from the crippling disease of compromise. And this is the church of today. Compromise, wanting to be like the world, wanting to compromise with darkness. And Jesus' antidote is you need to turn to me. You need to come to me. I'm ready. And Jesus recognized also the people in Pergamos lived in a tough place. They were in the midst of darkness. The Bible says in verse 12 of Revelation 2, it was a place where Satan had his throne. So they were living where Satan's headquarters were in Pergamos. So there's literal places, and this is interesting, in the earth where Satan's throne is established. And so we see this in Pergamos. Jesus is going, I know you're in a tough place. There's that worldliness that's come in. You're in a place where Satan has set up his throne. We know Satan does not live in hell. We've been talking about this recently, but Satan sets his throne up on earth. He lives up in that heavenly realm. He's the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible recognizes that his throne had been set up here. Literally, it says where Satan has set up his throne. And so we have to understand that this is Jesus telling us, I know it's hard. I know you're living in a place where Satan his throne is set up, but you can remain faithful and overcome. Thyatira, this is the church that was tolerating Jezebel. Some of you know this, Jezebel's spirit was running rampant in the church. And Jesus goes, although all this good stuff is happening in your church, you have allowed Jezebel to teach. You've allowed her to indoctrinate the prophets. You've allowed her to cause them to lust and to fornicate. And as pastors and leaders, we are responsible for what's happening in our church. And we live in a church era where nobody's challenging Satan, 
Nobody's challenging darkness. Nobody's challenging spirits. And if you decide to challenge darkness and spirits, it's not even like pastors are like, oh, that's great what you're doing, Isaiah. They actually persecute you for coming against demonic spirits. If you try to come against Jezebel, if you try to come against anger and anxiety and depression and all these spirits that are in the church, pastors will cast you out for trying to cast out demons. So instead of casting demons out of people, we're casting out church members that cast out demons. And this is what was happening. No one was willing to, to confront her. Demons must be confronted. Jezebel must be confronted. I'm loving the little uh, memes you guys are posting on Discord, okay? Revelation 2 talks about that those who conquer their sinful nature can overcome the second death through faith in Christ Jesus. We can live forever with God. That's Revelation 2.11. Also talks about Jesus being described as eyes of fire and feet of fine brass. His eyes giving him the ability to see everything we do and his feet re uh, refer to his position of judgment over all creation. Okay, and then the la and the uh, one part I want to point out in Revelation 2, Revelation 2.28 is God promises to give the bright and morning star to those who overcome Jezebel and he's promising himself as a gift to the believer. So he says, if you overcome these things, church, I will give you myself. I will give you my spirit. I will give you my power. And the bright and morning star will be yours. Wow, we're doing good here. Praise the Lord. So that's Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 3. We're going into the last three churches that John is writing to. That's the church of Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Each letter explaining further the issues of the church and God offering solutions, okay? Sardis being the first one that in chapter 3, this was the church that had the reputation but was dead. Can anybody relate to having a reputation of being alive but really knowing you're dead on the inside? And that's like a reputation is what people introduce you as. If somebody said, hey, this is Isaiah, he's a man of God, he's anointed, and a pastor's introducing me to another pastor saying, this is who Isaiah is, that's my reputation, not my reality necessarily. And for many of us, we live behind a reputation that we're alive. So everybody thinks you're on fire, you pray, you're passionate, but the problem was, he said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And this is something that I always want to walk in humility and I never want to buy my own hype. I never want to buy into my own reputation. I never want to buy into thinking that I'm something that I'm not. And this is what Paul warned us of. Don't think you're better than you really are. This church had a reputation, but they were dead. So Lord, help us tonight not to have a reputation. I don't just want to have a reputation of, you're a great prayer warrior. I literally want to be a great prayer warrior. I don't want to have this reputation of being this great preacher, but not really live that lifestyle of holiness, that lifestyle of fasting. So I'm saying, Lord, I don't want a reputation that exceeds my reality. Preach that, Isaiah. And the next one was Philadelphia. They kept the commands of Christ. They kept his uh, commands. Excuse me, I just lost my place, but they kept the commands of Jesus and he promises to keep them for keeping his command to keep them from the hour of trial. So he goes, listen, you've kept my commands. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. And that's Revelation 3.11. So I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. And so God says, listen, stand firm. I'll make sure nobody takes your crown. I'm coming soon. And this is a crazy reality in Revelation 3 that it's possible for someone to take your crown. So Jesus said, I'm coming quickly and don't let others take your crown. I really believe there will be some of us in eternity that other people will be wearing our crowns. The Bible warns us, friend, listen, don't let anybody take the calling, take the, the assignment that God has given you. If you say no to God, God will find someone that will say yes to him. And so I'm saying, Lord, I don't want no one to steal my crown. 
I know that there's trial. I know that there's testing. I know that things are getting hard. I'm going to remain steadfast. I want to hang on to my crown. I want to hold fast to what I have. I don't want no one to steal my faith. I don't want no one to steal my calling. I want to be the person you've called me to be. That's the word of Revelation 3 that stands out to me. Don't let anyone take your crown. Laodicea is the last of the seven. And this is probably the most well-known church. What is it, chat? Type it on Discord. Type it on YouTube. Type it on Facebook. This is the lukewarm church. Jesus tells them, you say you're in need of nothing, but you, and you say you're rich, and you have all this, and you don't need me, but I say you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The message is this, okay? This is to sum it up. Change, or I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Nothing makes God sick like someone that's in the middle. You're not hot, he says. You're not cold, so it's not like you're angry or mad at God or ignorant to scripture. You're just right there in the middle, stagnant. You're indifferent. You just warm a chair on Sunday and you take up air, but there's no evidence. There's no fire. There's no fruit. And so he's saying, I would rather you be cold. I'd rather you be cold if you're just going to be hot. I mean, if you're not going to be hot, I'd rather you be cold. So change or I'm going to vomit you out. Again, wasn't the witches that made him sick, the atheists, the Muslims, the Buddhists. It was the lukewarm Christians, the indifferent Christians. And then Jesus says this in Revelation 3.20. This is the final summary of Revelation chapter 3. As he says, I'm knocking on your door, and if you'll open, I'll come in. The door being not of your heart, but the door of the churches that were worshiping and praising, and Jesus wasn't even in the building. There would come a day where the G Jesus would not be in his very own church. Is that not the day we live in? And so he said, I'm knocking, let me in. It's time the, the church lets him back in. Chapter 4, John gets taken into heaven to peer into the throne room of God, and John begins to describe what he sees. The voice says, come up here and I will show you what may, must take place after this, which is after the church age or after what we're living in. So what John is going to see from now on is the age after the church age. The book of Revelation is going to begin to describe the events that will take place during the tribulation. So John sees a door. He hears a voice. And the Bible says, suddenly John was in the spirit. In the spirit means his spirit left his body. That's what it means, okay? He's not physically there, but he's there in the spirit. Now, his body could not enter heaven because he had not been glorified yet. However, his spirit was able to enter because of the righteousness of Christ. So John was able through the righteousness of Christ to be able to go into the throne of God and see the throne. And around the throne, he saw a rainbow, 24 elders, seven lamps. Again, all my teachings on YouTube of this in depth, I go into what every single symbolism is. Seven lamps, a sea of glass, and four living creatures. Remember in the Old Testament, God promised Noah, I'll never destroy the earth with a flood again. He promised a rainbow as a, uh, as a promise of that he'll never flood the earth. So it was a rainbow in the sky as a promise he'll never flood the earth. So when the church enters heaven or when John enters heaven as a prophetic picture of the church, there's going to be a rainbow surrounding God's throne promising he will not destroy the earth in the tribulation period. So this is why John is seeing that emerald rainbow around the throne. He sees flashes of lightnings in Revelation 4, 5, rumblings, thunder coming from the throne. All these things are symbolic for the approaching storm known as the tribulation period. So this is what we're, we're ramping up to. The tribulation's coming. There's thunder, there's storm, there's lightning. There's a storm coming on the earth. And I believe, friend, that there is a great storm coming upon our earth. The four living creatures having six wings are covered with eyes. Each creature represents a different animal in Revelation chapter 4. A lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle. And an eagle. All of them are attributes of Jesus, the lion, as Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The calf or an ox, 
Jesus, like the ox, bears the burdens of sin and carries the burdens and the weight of life and our, our sin. The third creature, like a man. Remember, Luke says he's the son of man. The fourth creature, like an eagle, just as an eagle is the one that rules the skies, Jesus rules and reigns over all things. So these are symbolic. They also match up with the synoptic gospels. If you look at Matthew, he's the king of kings. If you look at Mark, he's the servant. If you look at Luke, he's the son of man. If you look at John, he's the son of God. So these are unveiling. Again, these are living creatures, real creatures, but they're also unveiling and representing the majesty of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he is, and what his attributes are. So the end of Revelation 4, as the four living creatures glorify God, the 24 elders lay down their crowns before the, crowns before the throne and they proclaim the worthiness of God. All right, chapter five, we are 20 minutes in and we're on chapter five. So uh, we're, we're doing good. We're getting there. The end of Revelation is a lot quicker, but we're going to keep going here. Chapter five of Revelation, God is going to hold a seven sealed scroll in his right hand as an angel will ask when he sees the seven sealed scroll, who can open the scroll? And John is going to weep when he realizes no one's worthy to open the scroll. In Revelation 5, 3 through 5, and no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. This is John speaking because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said, do not weep. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So John's weeping and then all of a sudden, here, here comes this, um, here comes this angel saying, do not weep. There's somebody been found worthy. Here's this voice that says, I'm sorry. Here's this elder that says there's someone found worthy, the lion of the tribe of Judah, no one on earth or living or dead will be able to open the scroll and look what's inside. And John is heartbroken by this, not knowing what's in the scroll, but is there possibly a solution to humanity in the scroll? We don't know. We just know the only one found worthy is a lion of the tribe of Judah. Suddenly, the 24 elders tells John to stop crying. The person that's found worthy is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And there's a lot of detail. There's a lot that goes into the scroll and things like that. But this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Alyssa, if you're watching, the dog's barking outside my office. Okay. Jesus is a line of Judah. He's the one worthy to open the scroll and he's worthy. Here's why Revelation 5, 5 says he's worthy to open the scroll because he was slain for the sins of the world. Okay. So once he takes the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders will sing a new song and the angels will join in proclaiming Christ's worthiness. So this is a song that will be saying of the worthiness of Christ, the power of God, the fact that Christ laid down his life for us. And this song is going to be saying, okay. Um, let's see revelation five, 11 through 12 says, then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels and many angels, a voice of many angels and living creatures around the throne and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive the power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and blessing. So these are what they're going to be singing. Worthy is a lamb. And this is what he's going to receive power riches he's worthy to receive wisdom strength honor glory blessing all these are praising him worshiping him the end of revelation chapter 5 all of heaven is singing to jesus all creatures on earth and under the sea will also sing praises to his name what you're going to see throughout revelation is the all of heaven singing and praising and worshiping 
Worthy is the lamb, the one that was slain before the foundations of the world. Worthy is the lamb that is able to open the seal. Worthy is the lamb that has avenged the martyrs. Worthy is the lamb that has defeated the antichrist, the false prophet, the beast. Worthy. So there's going to be a song of worthiness all throughout the book of Revelation as a central theme of Jesus overcoming the plans of the enemy. Okay, chapter 6. Chapter 6 is where we start the tribulation period. This is where we're going to start seeing the opening of the seven seals. The seven seals being, first we have seven seals, which are judgments of God. Then we have seven trumpets. Then we have seven bowls of the final judgment, the wrath of God being poured out. So those are the three sevens. But in Revelation 6, is going to begin to describe the opening of the seven seals. Okay, It's also going to talk about the fact that the not only the opening of the seals, but the, these four horsemen are going to be seals that are open, are going to be releasing of these four horsemen. Some of you have heard of the four riders of the apocalypse or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These are the four horsemen found in Revelation chapter 6, 2 through 8. And these are going to bring upon the Antichrist, war, economic ruin, famine, and death. The white horse is the Antichrist. He comes pretending to be Christ. Remember, Christ will come back on a white horse. The Antichrist will come on a white horse as well. He will be the first rider, the first seal. The red horse is a horse of war, a horse of violence, where peace will be removed and there will be hell on earth. So that's the second seal is the red horse. He's the horse of war. The third horse is the black horse. This is economic ruin, a complete economic collapse the horse will be black as a sign of grief and mourning its rider will hold a pair of scales that symbolize economic disaster and famine the scales being used to weigh food and food will be a ridiculously high price if you go read revelation it's like an entire day's wages just for a loaf of bread so this is going to be total economics collapse in the beginning of the tribulation period and then the fourth horse is going to be the pale horse and this literally means death this horse is death. Following death, again, I have all this extensive teaching on my channel of this. Following death will be a figure called Hades. And with these riders, over 1 billion people will die during this time, okay? During the tribulation period, people still turn to Christ and be killed for their faith. These people will be known as the tribulation saints, and they're going to ask to be avenged. Throughout Revelation, you will see the saints that have died, believers that have died in the tribulation after getting saved, they will be the tribulation saints, they will be asking God to avenge them throughout the tribulation period. An earthquake will be released, shaking the earth, affecting the sun, the moon, the sky, the land, and the sea. Um, this is the sixth seal. Some people believe that this is a nuclear warhead. Stars are going to be falling to the earth. Mountains and islands are going to move from their place. And these are just the beginning. So you imagine this famine, death, um, un unnecessary violence war breaking out uh the antichrist rising up earthquakes happening some say a nuclear bomb because of the translation we don't know but a massive earthquake stars are falling out of the sky and this is the very beginning of the tribulation period following the sixth seal that is released fear is going to grip everybody and people are going to begin to try to hide from the wrath of god revelation 6 15 says and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hides themselves in caves in the rocks of the mountains and says to the rocks and mountains, fall on us to hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Think about this. All the greatest people in the world are going to gather. And during the start of this tribulation, during these, this, this all global crisis happening, they're going to ask the mountains, fall on us 
so that we can hide, so that we can escape the one that sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. That's absolutely terrifying. This is the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. Okay, chapter 7. An angel. This is the time where God's going to begin to mark his chosen ones. An angel will place the mark of God on the foreheads of God's servants so the judgments don't harm them. So I want you to notice this in chapter 7. Before the mark of the beast is the mark of God. Okay, chapter 7. The mark of God. The mark of the beast is the devil's version of the mark of God. The Antichrist riding on a white horse is his version of Jesus riding on a white horse. The devil's always copying what God does. So the, the mark, before the mark of the beast comes, there's the mark of God. So God's going to mark his people. God will not be done with Israel. He's going to sell 144,000 of them, then mark them with his protection. 12,000 will come from each 12 tribes of Israel. I have a video about the 144,000. Go watch on the channel. But God's going to mark 12,000 according to Revelation 7, 4 through 8. And he's going to mark 12,000 from each tri tribe of Israel. During the tribulation, multitudes will be killed and the martyrs are going to stand in heaven, finding themselves before God, asking for vengeance. Revelation 7, 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. So there's these martyred saints there. They're before the throne asking God, protect, uh, bring justice. And again, God will say, I can't, I'm not ready or it's not the right time to bring justice on the earth. But there is a special promise um, that God is going to mark some of these people. Okay, so a great worship service, Revelation 7, 10 through 11, a great worship service will start in heaven when the tribulation saints followed by the rest of heaven's inhabitants worship God being the author of salvation. So you're going to have some of these tribulation saints that were martyred in the tribulation worshiping. There'll be a massive worship service. Um, God will promise to these martyrs that they will never endure hardships on earth again. And he promises here to wipe their tears away. Revelation 7:16. they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun will not strike them nor any heat. So I want you to think about this. The tribulation saints will have faced hunger, thirst, death from starvation, poisoned water, burn, burning by the blazing sun from these plagues being released, suffocation from scorching heat. And once they arrive in heaven, God says, this will never happen again. You are now in my fortress and I promise to wipe away your tears. You will be protected. This goes from a place of constant chaos, dying in the tribulation to being a place of constant peace, protection, and God's promised that you will never suffer again. From the moment you breathe your last breath, if you are a son or daughter of God, you will never suffer again. If you're going through cancer, if you're going through sickness and disease or a life of suffering, you will go from a life of suffering into a life of peace, a life of protection, and you will be with God. So Revelation 7 is really about God sealing his people, protecting the 144,000. And then we're going to go back into chapter 8, okay? So before the last seal, the seventh seal is released, that's S-E-A-L, there is a 30-minute silence in heaven. Before they be can begin a half hour silence where the flashes of lightning, the rumblings, the peals of thunder, all these things coming from the throne of God will cease. The four living creatures will cease to talk about the holiness of God. The 24 elders will suspend their declarations that God is the worthy lamb and the heavenly host will stop singing and the tribulation saints will cease and there will be an eerie silence across heaven as everyone in heaven anticipates what's coming next. 30 minutes, Revelation 8 talks about 30 minutes of silence before the next thing coming. And also we'll talk about the aroma coming from the incense mixed with the prayers of the saints that will cause God to respond when an angel takes the golden censer filled with fire and hurls it to the earth. 
So in Revelation 8, we're going to see God responding, okay? So I want you to try, to try to visualize this. The Antichrist and the false prophet rising to power. They're leading the inhabitants of the earth to worship Satan. While at the same time, okay, God's people are being hunted, persecuted, and murdered at an alarming rate. The martyr saints arrive in heaven, okay? They're praying, Lord, avenge us. Lord, avenge us for this, this murder and this outbreak and this, this uh, chaos. And at first, God tells them you need to wait because all that are being saved is going to increase. But then after a short time, God hears their prayers and God responds by hurling a burning incense down to the earth. Some say in the form of a meteor, but this is God's clear statement onto the earth that you've killed my people, you've martyred my saints, and now the wrath of God is beginning into a fuller measure being released on the earth, followed by God hurling that incense of the prayers of those tribulation saints. There's also lightning, thunderclaps, and an earthquake. And so God's people's prayers are being answered by the wrath of God responding and the entire earth, hear me tonight strong, the entire earth is going to experience the wrath of God and it is only going to get worse as they continue on their deception, on their rebellion, and on all these things. Um, the trumpet judgments will unleash, okay, which is what we're going to start seeing in Revelation 8, the trumpet judgments will begin to get released. And the trumpet judgments are going to release a storm of hail and fire mixed with blood. One third of the earth is going to be set on fire. One third of the trees are going to be burned. All the grass is going to be burned in the earth. That's Revelation 8, 7. A great mountain of fire is thrown into the ocean. One third of all the oceans will become blood. One third of all the creatures in the oceans are going to die. One third of all the ocean faring ships are going to be destroyed. As the trumpet judgments continue, a star is going to fall from the sky and it's going to fall on one third on a third of the rivers and springs and water and a third of the water will become bitter and those who drink it will die. So this star is going to fall into the water. I have all great detail on all of this topics again on my channel, but it's going to poison the waters and those that drink it will die. One third of the sun, moon, and the stars are going to turn to darkness. So again, there's no movie that can really describe all that's going to be going on. For the rest of the tribulation, it's going to be one third of the sun, the moon, and the stars will be dark. And so not only will there be all this chaos happening, this craziness happening going on in the tribulation, the wrath of God being poured out on an unrepentant humanity as they still reject God and, re and say, God, you know, leave us alone. They're hiding from the, the lamb, but also there will be an eerie darkness over the earth. It will never be light again the way that it was until the new Jerusalem, until Christ obviously comes. There will be a darkness. So there will be an eerie darkness that I think often people don't think about during the tribulation. Okay. Chapter 9, we're doing good here. When the fifth trumpet is sounded, Satan will be given the keys to the bottomless pit. The sun and the sky will be darkened from the smoke pouring out of the pit. So now Satan will be given keys over to the bottomless pit where, again, this is chapter 9 overview. We're going through an overview of each chapter if you're just jumping on. Demon-possessed locusts are going to come out of the bottomless pit to torment mankind for five months. The pain will be so bad, men will seek death but God will not let them find death. Locusts are going to come out of the smoke, but not locusts as we think about them or know them. These are not going to be grasshoppers that have short horns that have plagued the world as we see in movies, as we see on Discovery or whatever you watch. These are going to be demon-possessed, having horrible features, part animal, part human creatures. And to me, I'm just going to tell you, I've studied Revelation a lot. Okay, we've taught on every verse. I love this book. I've read it over and over. To me, this is, this is the most terrifying part of all of the tribulation, in my opinion, okay? Because here's what's going to happen. 
These locusts will be like scorpions. They'll have stingers to stab and poison their victims. And if you know anything about a scorpion sting, victims rarely die of a scorpion sting. Oftentimes victims turn black and blue and they go into convulsions. And people that have gotten a real scorpion sting say the pain is unbearable. So imagine this, millions of demon-possessed locusts dive bombing earth like mosquitoes. And this is what they're commanded to do. Don't eat green, which is what locusts usually eat. They eat grass and things. But instead, people are your target. This is worse than any horror movie you can imagine. These locusts will not kill people. This is what's worse. They will torture people for five months. They will be masters of inflicting pain and causing torture. And for five months, nobody will die. Think about that. For five months, nobody will die. They will look for death. But they, the Bible says death will flee from them. And if you know torturing, torturing is far worse than death. Death is like nothing compared to being tortured. For five months, no one on the earth will die. And these things, according to Revelation 9, will torture people. They will not eat plants. They will be eating people and torturing people. To me, that's absolutely the most horrific part of the tribulation. But it does it does get continue to get crazier and crazier. This is the tribulation period. Okay, Revelation 9, 13, around through 15, after the sixth trumpet is sounded, there are four angels that were bound at the Euphrates River. They will be released to kill a third of mankind. So there will be four angels that are going to be released, and their assignment is kill one third of mankind. After that, if you didn't think it could get worse, an army of 200 million mounted soldiers will kill a third of mankind through the three plagues of fire smoke and sulfur that come out of their horse's mouth so here you have 200 million soldiers and horses out of their horse's mouth will come smoke fire and plagues and they will wreak havoc on the earth excuse me and they will kill a third of mankind those who are not killed of these plagues will still revelation 9 20 says refuse to repent of their sins and instead the bible says they will cling to their idol worship and their demon worship revelation 9 20 but the rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands that they should not worship demons so they were worshiping demons and idols of gold silver brass and stone and wood which can neither see nor walk so the same right now we have demon worship in our culture and music industry and i can go on for days about that these people are worshiping demons and they refuse to turn no matter what they see they refuse chapter 10 revelation another mighty angel is going to come down from heaven having a little scroll and he will claim the land and sea for god some people think this say this is the title for the earth but he will have this he'll claim land and sea as gods the angel standing on the sea and land will raise his hand and declare that there'll be no more delay for the judgments of the earth so no more delay god is fully pouring out judgment the brunt of the wrath of god is being released john will be told to take the book from the angel's hand okay which signifies a christian to not just take the word but also listen to the word and when john eats the word or eats the book the bible says in revelation 10 it will taste sweet at first but turn his stomach sour and the instructions to eat the little book come with a warning that it will taste sweet which the book is the word of god it will taste sweet but once it will turn sour once digested okay this is what it means when you learn about the word of god and the plans of god it's enjoyable and exciting but when you understand the judgments of god it's sour or sickening so that's the sweet and then the sour because you go god is just he's merciful he's loving he's kind he wants everybody to come to repentance but then you see this and this is the judgment of god for those that have rejected him and then your stomach turns and you go "Ooh, that's sour so it's 
sweet to know that Satan's going to be bound and chained, but it's sour to see what people are going to have to go through. It's sweet to know we have final victory, but it's sour or bitter to contemplate the loss of life, the plagues, the pain, the suffering, people losing their eternity, going into hell because of all that's going on. So the end of Revelation 10, God is going to assign John the task of prophesying about many people's nations and tongues. Okay, moving into chapter 11, we're moving here. God is going to empower two witnesses, which again, we have all this in depth on our channel. Two witnesses to prophesy for 1260 days, during which that time they will be able to smite the earth with plagues and consume their enemies in fire. Some people believe these two witnesses will be Elijah and Enoch. Others believe Elijah and Moses because they both appeared on the Mount Transfiguration. We don't know exactly who they are, we all have a guess of what we think might be this. We will know someday, but we do know these two witnesses have incredible power. They have power to turn rivers and oceans into blood, which was power we saw Moses display at the Nile. They have power to shut the sky so that no rain falls. They have power to send every kind of plague that they wish or desire. These are working on God's side, by the way. These are good witnesses. Um, they have power to do a lot of these miraculous works. This will be a frustration for the world. No one's going to be able to harm them. Fire will come out of their mouth and destroy anyone that tries to hurt them. So they are untouchable. And after prophesying for 1260 days, they will be killed by the Antichrist in Jerusalem. Their bodies will lay in the street and believe unbelievers will celebrate. There will be a holiday for the death of these two witnesses. The world hates them so much that there will be a massive holiday and a celebration when the Antichrist kills them in the street of Jerusalem. But here's the next thing that happens. Plot twist. Three and a half days after they're killed, God will resurrect them in the street for the whole world to see and call them home to heaven and then destroy a tenth of Jerusalem with an earthquake. So right there in the middle of the street for the whole world to see, they're going to be laying dead. People are going to be praising and going, yes, they're dead. These guys that have caused plagues and affliction and no one can kill them and they've caused the judgment of God on the earth. They're laying dead for three and a half days. God resurrects them and they ascend into heaven and the entire world watches as these men that they thought they can kill rise up from the dead. And a heavenly declaration proclaiming that Jesus will soon start his earthly reign will follow the seventh trumpet blast, okay? God will then open his heavenly temple, revealing the Ark of the Covenant, which serves as a reminder that God has always shown Israel mercy. That's Revelation eleven nineteen. All right. Revelation 12, come on, we're doing good here. Israel, and this is, guys, in Revelation 12 and 13, there's a lot of symbolism. You're going to have to go watch the other videos because it goes into a lot of detail. I'm just going to quickly overview it because there's no possible way I can describe even one of these principles in the next, say, 20 minutes, okay? But in Revelation 12, we're going to see Israel represented as a woman clothed with the sun. The first sign in heaven, she's pregnant with a child, okay? A great red dragon, which is symbolic of Satan, is the second sign in heaven. He will cause a third of his angels to fall to the earth due to rebellion. So there will be a war breaking out in heaven in Revelation 12, where Satan's going to war against God in heaven. The angels will fight back, overpower him, and throw him down to the earth. After Satan's defeated, he's going to try to attack God's people on the earth, and he will send, and God will send an army, or he will send an army to drown them, okay? The earth will help God's people by swallowing the troops in an earthquake. This is all in Revelation chapter 12. This is the re this rebellion that goes on, this war that goes on in heaven where Satan and his angels are hurled down to the earth, and now they're attacking people on the earth, which leads into chapter 13. 
where the dragon will give his power, the dragon being Satan, will give his power and authority to the Antichrist. So the world will be deceived into worshiping the dragon, into worshiping the Antichrist. So Satan is going to empower this man called the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. Satan is going to empower him and the earth is going to be deceived and they're going to worship the dragon and the Antichrist. Now again, worshiping the dragon, I'm sorry, worshiping the Antichrist is the same as worshiping Satan. It's the same as worshiping the dragon because the Antichrist gets his power from the dragon. The dragon giving over his power. The Antichrist will receive what appears to be a fatal wound, but his wound that seems to be fatal will then be healed, and the world will marvel at this miracle and follow him. So he's going to be fatally wounded. He's going to be some type of killed, and he's going to raise from the dead. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus did? Again, the Antichrist trying to manipulate and trying to pervert and trying to mimic what Christ has done. And the world's going to marvel at the fact that he's raised from this mortal wound, raised from the dead. And the world, Revelation 13, 3 through 4, is going to follow him. He'll be a, a wounded from a sword and miraculously raised from the dead, just the way Jesus was killed and raised from the dead. This is a counterfeit version. Four different blasphemies will come from the Antichrist in Revelation um, chapter 13. He will blaspheme God. He will blaspheme the name of God. He will blaspheme the tabernacle of God, which is the church. And he will blaspheme those that live in heaven. He will be anti-God, anti-church, and anti-anything that has to do with God and the Father. The mere mention of Christ or the things of God will, will lead him into anger and lead him into fury. And the tribulation saints will face the most intense persecution that the world has ever seen. Satan will give the Antichrist power to conquer anyone that turns to God, and he will go forth with vengeance, wipe out all the Christians, and multitudes will be slaughtered to establish a one-world satanic religion, which is already being established now, but they were going to establish a one-world satanic religion. I want you to remember this too, and I'm going to go quickly through this. We've talked about this before, not only a one world religion, but a one world economic system. So in one way you have the one world religious system, which is going to be propagated by the false prophet, and you have a one world order or a one world economic system, which will be propagated by the Antichrist. Okay, there'll be no place safe for Christians. The Antichrist will extend his reign into every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Everyone must either submit to the Antichrist or be killed. This will be a one world government and religious persecution will be at its all time high. What we're seeing today will be nothing compared to this. The false prophet will perform miracles to deceive those to worship the Antichrist. So the false prophet's goal is to get people to worship the Antichrist. So he will do signs and wonders to lead people. He's the political propagator of the Antichrist. Okay, His job is to bring worship and glory to the Antichrist. The false prophet will go and rally the world to worship the Antichrist. He will also erect an image and worship it of the Antichrist. Anyone who doesn't worship the image, which later will be animated, is going to be killed. So the image of the Antichrist, whatever it is, a statue that's erected, you must worship it. If you don't worship the image, you're going to be killed, okay? So everyone who wants to buy or sell at this point, when Revelation 13, 16 through 18, will have to take the mark of the beast, which is a man's number 666, okay? If you don't take the mark of the beast, you will not be able to buy or sell. Now, the reasons for the mark of the beast are to counterfeit the mark of God that God gave the 144,000 Jews, to extend favors to those who support the one world order. So these government leaders that are partnering with the Antichrist that take the mark, oh, you have the mark, you're part of our leadership, we're going to give you favors. To identify those that are in opposition to the one world order. So if you don't have the mark, you are marked with the fact that you're in opposition. So that's another reason. Another reason is to track and control commerce. Again, you won't be able to buy or sell. 
to force people to stop worshiping God and to force people to worship the Antichrist, to permanently tie people, because it's an unremovable mark. Once you take the mark, you are destined for hellfire. There's no repentance after taking the mark, but this will permanently tie you to the kingdom of the Antichrist. Just like when you serve Christ and you're born again, you're tied to the kingdom of God, you'll be tied to the kingdom of the Antichrist. And then lastly, those who take the mark will face the wrath of God according to scripture. Those are the reasons for the mark of the beast. We have other videos on the channel about it. Chapter 14, 144,000 are going to stand with Jesus on Mount Zion and sing a new song that they will be redeemed from the earth and offered as first fruits. These are also uh, ones that were kept pure during the tribulation. These kept themselves pure. An angel is now going to fly through the heaven, through heaven and the air in Revelation 14, proclaiming the gospel to all the inhabitants of the earth and warning them that the hour of God's final judgment is near. After all of this, angels are going to be preaching, two witnesses are going to be preaching, tribulation saints are going to be preaching, angels will be flying through the sky, literally preaching, the time of God's final wrath is near, repent, and they're going to be preaching the gospel of salvation. A second angel will follow the first and proclaim the fall of Babylon because she caused the nations to, of earth to sin. A third angel will follow the first two and warn them, the people of the earth not to worship the Antichrist or receive the mark, and those who do will follow um, who followed the Antichrist will suffer God's fury forever. So one angel preaching, another angel warning, a third angel flying, saying, don't take the mark. Don't take the mark. Do not worship the Antichrist. If you worship the Antichrist, you will receive the wrath of God forever. Don't take the mark. These are angels flying through the skies, declaring, do not take the mark. Do not worship the Antichrist. These will be uh, warning out people. So if you think God is not merciful in his warning, these people are absolutely warning of what's going on in the earth. Two harvests of the earth will occur in Revelation 14. Um, the first one will be by Christ and the second by an angel who will throw his harvest in the winepress of God's wrath. Okay, I just want to say, share this really quick. Revelation 14, 20. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 hundred furlongs and this is a reference to the battle of armageddon the ripe grapes are the wicked nations that will be trampled in the wine press of god's wrath people will be crushed by the fine brass of the feet of jesus like small grapes under the weight of a large man the bible says the blood will rise as high as a horse's bridle for approximately 200 miles and we know that millions are going to die for that to be possible but before this god will preach the gospel through the 144,000 jews the two witnesses and his angels, and he'll also send an angel to tell those, do not follow the Antichrist. So God will give the world many chances to repent before he fully releases wrath. Okay, Revelation 15. The third great sign John will see will be seven angels carrying the last seven plagues, which will complete God's wrath. There will be a sea of glass mixed with fire. Standing beside the sea of glass mixed with fire will be those who will be victorious over the Antichrist. They will receive harps and sing about the deeds of Christ. Those who overcome the Antichrist will sing the song of the Lamb, and they'll sing about the marvelous deeds and how God is true and is in his holiness in Revelation 15. Revelation 15, 3, they're going to sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Okay, the tribulation saints will be singing two songs, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, the song of Moses from Exodus 15. 
and then the Song of the Lamb, which we're going to see here in Revelation 15. And this is celebrating God, what, celebrating when God brought Israel out of Egypt, when God delivered. And again, the tribulation saints will be singing this, that God is righteous. His judgments are righteous. And why are they singing that? Because the question is, how could a loving, kind, merciful, righteous God be pouring this much wrath on the earth? And the answer is God is doing it because he's righteous. Because these people, after all of the warnings and chances, have rejected God, have denied God, and want nothing to do with him. And God is righteous, and God is just. His words are accurate. He is reliable. He's the king of ages. He's the eternal one. And he reigns supreme, and he's never released an unrighteous judgment ever. And he's not going to start now. When the heavenly temple opens in Revelation 15, the seven angels with the last seven plagues are going to come out of the heavenly temple. And once the angels leave the temple smoke from God's glory, it will fill the temple, preventing anyone from seeking mercy and obtaining one last chance. Many people believe that at this point, okay, and I don't have time to go into this, but at this point, once that glory fills the temple, there will be no last chance for mercy. Once those angels leave the temple smoke and the temple's open and those seven last judgment bowls come out, this will be the place after God preached to them, after the angels preach, where there's no more time for repentance in the tribulation. Chapter 16, seven bowls of wrath are poured out. When the seven bowls of wrath are poured out, his judgments, the judgments of God will come to an end in the tribulation. They will begin with horrible sores breaking out on anyone who accepts the mark of the beast and worships the Antichrist. So every single person on earth that has accepted the mark and worshiped the Antichrist will have terrible boils being a majority of the world's population. The next bowl, God's wrath is poured out on the oceans. The oceans become like the blood of a corpse and everything in the oceans die. That's Revelation 16.3. Right after that, all the world's rivers and springs become blood. Then the sun scorches everyone with fire. The blast of heat burns everyone in the world and they refuse still to turn to God. Afterward, the world is plunged into darkness. People grind their teeth in anguish and they curse God because their pains and sores. And I go into that deep in another video. It's absolutely disturbing the pains and sores that break out. And those that have taken the mark, people are getting burned. There's darkness and there's just complete calamity. After the third bowl is emptied, the angel in charge of the waters and the tribulation saints will proclaim the judgments to be just and true. Again, these are just judgments. These are true judgments. The Euphrates River will dry up to make way from the kings from the east. Three spirits, three demonic spirits will come out of the mouth of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet to summon the kings of the earth together for the battle of Armageddon. So demonic spirits are going to come out in Revelation 16. They're going to rally the earth and say, everybody come fight at the battle of Armageddon, fight against the Lord and his anointed. John tells us three evil spirits will come forth. Again, one out of the mouth of Satan, one out of the mouth of the Antichrist, one out of the mouth of the false prophet. We can only speculate because they're frog-like in appearance, the Bible says, but we do know that these are demonic spirits and they're going to convince the world to fight against God and to come against the Lord's anointed. After the seventh bowl is poured out, there will be a great earthquake that will rock the planet, destroying every city except Babylon, which will split into three parts, okay? Now, I got to warn you here because it does get a little bit tricky and confusing and we don't have time to break down all of these like we've done in the past. Again, I'll reference you to my playlist of all my teachings on Revelation and you can go find chapter 17 and 18. Just, I'm going to go through it quick. Chapter 17 is the judgment of Babylon, the religious system. Ju chapter 18 is the judgment of Babylon, the city. Okay, so those are the two. Revel uh, Revelation chapter 17 an angel will show John the punishment of the harlot who sits on the scarlet beast. She's the one whom the world will, uh, the people of the earth will commit adultery with. 
This being, remember, the religious system of Babylon. And John's going to be invited in to see the punishment of Babylon the mother, the great religious harlot who sits on many waters, the waters being people. She rests upon people. And this is a revelation of what God plans to do with the harlot religious system. The woman who sits on the beast is great Babylon. She's the mother of harlots. She will go and kill many saints who follow Jesus, and she will be drunk on the blood of martyrs. So her religious system feeds, feeds off of killing Christians, and the, she literally gets drunk, the Bible says in Revelation 17, on the blood of martyrs. The beast will come out of the bottomless pit and go to his destruction, will astonish many because he was, wasn't, and will yet come. His seven heads of the beast, again, don't have time to go into all these, but his seven heads represent seven kingdoms. The beast is the eighth kingdom that will come out of the seventh kingdom, okay? Again, go watch the other videos. The 10 horns on this beast that comes out of the pit will represent 10 kings who will rule, rule during the Antichrist, during the tribulation. And their only purpose is to give power to the eighth king, the beast. Okay, so they're going to give all their power over to the Antichrist. And God will establish his purpose by planting the idea of destroying Babylon the mother into the minds of the beast and the 10 puppet kings. They will turn on this harlot Babylon and they will destroy her. Okay, chapter 18. An angel will come from the presence of God and declare destruction of the great city Babylon. A heavenly voice will call God's people out of Babylon so they'll not share in her crimes and her judgment. So God's going to bring his people out of Babylon. Again, don't have time to go into all this, but he'll bring his people out before he destroys it. Babylon will be destroyed by God in one hour. Babylon being this antichrist government system. This entire world system will be brought down in one hour and her sudden destruction will leave the entire world wailing and weeping over the loss of money. That's what they're going to be mad about, is that they've lost money. This entire economic one-world government order, I hope you're tracking with me, is going to be destroyed in one hour. Those in heaven who suffered at her hands will rejoice because God has judged her. It's Revelation 18.20. And a mighty angel will throw a boulder the size of a large millstone into the sea, and this will represent the totality of Babylon's destruction, and Babylon, the kingdom, the system, the order, the one-world government will never rise again. All right, we're doing really good here. Chapter 19, those in heaven are going to rejoice and praise God because he destroyed Babylon and because the wedding of the Lamb has come and all those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb are going to be blessed, okay? The second coming of Jesus will be marked by his return on a white horse with the armies of heaven behind him, which is us, we're coming back with him, who, and he will destroy the nations and the earth with the word of God. The word of God coming out of his mouth will destroy the nations of the earth. His robe dripping in blood is a symbol of what will take place. The prophet Isaiah tells us it represents the blood of his enemies. He'll be coming back to deal with hundreds of millions of unbelievers at the battle of Armageddon, and it will be the greatest bloodbath humanity has ever seen. Coming back, his name is the word of God, and this could be explained by looking at John's other books, the Gospel of John, and he calls Jesus the word of God made flesh, okay? According to the Bible, there's the written word of God, this is John 5, 39. There's the spoken word of God, John 3, 34, and there's the living word of God, John 1, 1, okay? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. That's Jesus, okay? That's not talking about the Bible in its paper form, where you're like, in the beginning was the word, the Bible... That's not what he's talking about. That's the written word of God. There's a spoken word of God and there's a living word of God. So John 1, 1, I posted a video saying we don't worship the Bible. Like we don't pray to the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. And people said, what, what do you mean? Jesus is the Bible. Jesus is the word. Okay. The Bible's the written word of God. But if you think your Bible is Jesus, 
then you need to go read scripture again, okay? We don't pray to the Bible. I'll say it again, even though it makes people mad. We don't pray to the Bible and we don't worship the Bible. It is not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We worship the author, and the book leads us to the living Word of God. All right, I'm going to do a whole video on that because some people are like, what? Um, okay, the Battle of Armageddon. Christ is going to destroy the armies of the earth. He'll capture the Antichrist and the false prophet, and he'll cast them in the lake of fire. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Revelation 19, 19. And it says, and I saw the beast... The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him, the one who sits on the throne and against his army. Just quickly in a nutshell here for the sake of time, every army in the world, everybody in the world is going to be going against God to try to fight him at Armageddon. This is the battle of Armageddon and it's at Armageddon. Jesus is going to come back with his army, which is us in white robes, his robes dripping in blood and with the, out of the word of his mouth, he will destroy the Antichrist, the false prophet and every army, every army that gathered to make war against him. Revelation 19:20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of burning uh, in the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So who do we have? The false prophet and the beast, being the antichrist, will be thrown into that lake of fiery burning with brimstone. So out of the hundreds of millions gathered, there's only two people captured. The Antichrist and the false prophet, they are thrown in the fire and everybody else left over is actually slaughtered. That's what the Bible says, Revelation 19.21. Okay, so the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're captured alive, thrown in the lake of fire alive. Revelation 19.21, what about all the other people in the other armies? And the rest were killed with sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Not one of the millions of troops escape. Not one person out of the millions of fighters that will come against God are going to escape. Every single one of them will be killed by the powerful word of God that comes out of Christ's mouth and the birds are going to have an all-out feast on their flesh, okay? An angel standing in the sun will invite the birds of the air to God's supper where they will feast on the dead bodies of those who oppose Christ at Armageddon. This is no game. This is no joke. Jesus is not weak. Like you may have thought, he's absolutely powerful and he has power to destroy all the kings of the earth, all the rulers that oppose him at Armageddon. Chapter 20, an angel carrying a great chain is now going to bind up Satan and cast Satan into the bottomless pit for a thousand years to keep him from deceiving the nations. Those believers who died during the tribulation will be raised in the last phase of the first resurrection and they will reign with Christ for the millennium. Those who take part in the first resurrection will be blessed because they have not received the second death. I go into great detail, okay? So you're like, that's so confusing. Go watch the other videos. After the thousand-year reign of Christ, Satan will be released once again to test the, test the faith of the nations. And unfortunately, many are going to fall back into Satan's hand and they will war against God. But God again will destroy them with fire and cast Satan in the lake of fire where he will suffer unending torment. That's Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. Satan cast in the lake of fire after the thousand years he'll be released he'll tempt people again there'll be another war god destroys all of them god throws satan into the lake of fire and he will suffer there for all of eternity in unending torment no satan does not run hell no hell is not where satan lives those are both two unbiblical things satan will live in hell one day but currently he's not living in hell. Christ will then sit on the great white throne and judge the dead and the living. And those whose names are not found in the book of life will be cast in a lake of fire to suffer the second death. Okay, we're doing good here. We're an hour and one minute and we're, we're about to be done here. Praise the Lord.
Chapter 21, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth will pass away. God will send the holy city, the new Jerusalem, down to the new earth. So we have a new heaven, a new earth. God's going to send the new Jerusalem down to the new earth, and God will dwell among his people and wipe away every tear from their eye. Everyone who rejected God during their lifetime will be cast in the lake of fire, which is Revelation 21, chapter 21, verse 8, the second death, okay? The new Jerusalem will be built on a 12 foundations having 12 gates. It will be laid out like a square and be made of pure gold and precious stones. Go watch our video on the new Jerusalem. It's the new Jerusalem is absolutely breathtaking. Okay. The new Jerusalem will not have a temple because God in Christ will be the temple. Likewise, the city will not need a son because the father and the son will be the light of the city. We will no longer need the son. Christ will be our light. The last chapter of revelation chapter 22, the river of life will flow from the throne of God through the holy city. On each side the, the, of the river will be the tree of life. The curse of original sin caused by Adam and Eve will be lifted when God makes everything new and God once again will dwell among his people and will be the light for all of eternity. Think about this. We go all the way from Genesis to thousands of years and we're at the end of the last book. Here's the climax, Revelation 22. And everything that Adam did, God says, is fully, I fully redeemed. And now from Genesis 1, in the beginning, now God will walk among his people again. God will dwell among his people. This is exciting. And the spirit and the bride will call anyone who is thirsty to come and drink from the water of life. Come on, Holy Ghost. I cannot wait to drink from the water of life. I cannot wait for this moment where we're living with God, where all of you in the chat, 3,500 of you will all, will all be together, hopefully in the new Jerusalem, talking about how good our God is singing praises to his name. And the Bible says freely drinking from the water of life in Revelation 22, 17. And a final warning. And then at the end of chapter 22, a final warning goes out to anyone who adds or takes away from this book and those who don't heed the warnings will face the plagues contained therein. So God says, if you add or take away or you don't heed, the plagues in this book will be released upon you. Christ has a final promise for all who read Revelation. This is the last message of Revelation. Are you guys ready? And then we're going to pray. Revelation 22:20. 20. This is the climax verse. This is the very end of the Bible. Jesus is coming soon. That is the final word. And tonight we just went in an hour and four minutes actually an hour because we took four or five minute intro. We went through the entire book of Revelation right now in one hour. Praise the Lord. And the final word to you is he's coming soon. That the God that we serve is coming back. And many of you say tears in your eyes and God is working you. Father, we pray tonight that you would just touch our heart, Lord. That, Lord, you would open up our eyes and that, God, you would open up our ears and that tonight, Lord, the word that has gone forth into us, Lord, would bear fruit. I pray, God, anyone in the chat that's watching this from around the world that does not know you, that tonight, Lord, they would come to repentance. Some of you say, Isaiah, I've, I've listened for an hour. What must I do to be saved? Guys, we prayed for an atheist today in Discord. We have people in our Discord right now that are atheists. They don't believe. We literally prayed, 70 of us prayed for an atheist live in Discord today. And they're watching and they're listening, saying, what must I do? I, I believe now. I, I trust this now. What must I do? Friend, what you must do is you must repent. In Acts 2.38, 
We are commanded to repent. God is saying to you tonight, just like I had to say in 2011 in January when I got saved, I was an atheist and I came to God and I repented. I said, Lord, if you're out there, if you're real, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll go to any length. And when God revealed himself to me, I realized how unclean I was, how broken I was, and how hurting I was. I believe right now, God is moving on someone's heart. I believe right now somebody is getting healed, somebody is getting delivered, that God's hand is touching somebody, and there is conviction being released right now in Jesus' name. Listen, if you're in the Discord voice chats, if you're in the chat in Discord, you need prayer, there'll be people praying for you in the prayer rooms, but right now, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, today is your day. When, Isaiah, when should I repent? Now is the time, right now. Should I wait till I have, you know, a family and stuff and have my fun? No because you could die in the next minute. Who knows? Don't gamble with your eternity. Now is the day of salvation. Maybe you already are saved. Then tonight say, God, I repent. God, I turn to you. I want to be on the right army. I want to be on the right side when the Lord returns. Now is the time. Type it in the chat. Now is the time. You don't have till tomorrow, friend. Friend, you don't have till the next day. And I wish there was more preachers that would preach with urgency and say, I'm begging you. Now, I don't beg often, but right now I am begging you. I am begging you to turn to God. I am begging you to say, God, I want to serve you. I want to know you. And I will take that step towards you because you've been there all along. Friend, he's been there all along. The gospel message, a real man came to the earth and died a criminal's death so that you can live in his righteousness, his peace, his love, and his kindness, to set you free from sickness, demonic bondage, oppression from the devil, all these things you're going through, God says, I wanna break the back of the enemy tonight and I wanna deliver you and heal you. Maybe you're a Christian, you're struggling in sin, and God says, tonight, the blood of Jesus washes all sin. Repent tonight, friend. God commands everyone everywhere to repent. If you have ever heard anyone say, Isaiah doesn't preach repentance, you have lost your mind. Every time I'm on here, I'm preaching repent. You must repent. God commands all men everywhere to turn from their ways, turn from the unbelief, turn from that atheism and that doubt and that unbelief and just say, God, I, I want to I follow you. And I, I'm telling you, he'll meet you where you're at. Father, we pray tonight, Lord, soften hearts in Jesus' name. Lord, tonight, those that have uh, gone astray or they no longer follow you or serve you, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would bring them back to repentance. I pray that you would bring them back to your kingdom, God, right now. And I, guys, I just feel so emotional because I feel God softening hearts. I feel God tonight, man, an urgency like I've never felt where God is softening hearts. And I'm pleading with some of you. Some of you will not make it another week. Some of you, I've had person after person that have been a part of our ministry or been in our services that have died have died that I've worshiped next to you. I've prayed next to you and their life was cut short in a car accident through a accidental this or accidental that. And I go, gosh, what was the last message? Like God, what was the last message they listened to? And if this is the last message you ever hear, I want it to be one of repent, turn to God. He's coming soon, friend. He is closer now than he's ever been. We are in a time where the Lord's getting ready to come back. Really guys, Really, there's an urgency. Really, guys, whatever it is, flush the drugs, someone said. Get rid of the movies, the music, the relationship, the pornography. Throw it all out and just say, Lord, tonight I want to serve you. Father, I pray whoever that is that I, I feel the urgency that I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you tonight. I don't hardly ever do this, but I'm pleading with you tonight to get right with God. I feel this in my spirit. Whoever that is, Lord, I pray that you would soften their heart right now. I pray, Lord, that you would touch them right now. I pray, God, every shackle, every chain, every bondage, is broken right now. You know who you are. Come on. Come on, friend. You know who you are. You know you're out there. You're addicted. You're broken. 
You don't like you don't like serving the devil. You're tired. You're tired of serving the devil. And God is saying tonight is your night for salvation. And some of you that have been saved, you, you need to remind yourself of that night you got saved. God is softening your heart once again right now. Father, right now, just release breakthrough in Jesus' name. Soften hearts, God. I just pray, Lord, the way you encountered me, encounter them tonight in Jesus' name. Encounter them tonight in Jesus' name. Soften their heart, Lord, their children. Some of you moms out there, you've been praying for your kids. Lord, please get a hold of them. I pray, Lord, answer those prayers tonight in Jesus' name. We believe it, God. We're desperate for revival. We're desperate to see you get saved and turn to God. This is the truth. I'm telling you, Jesus is the way. He's not, friend, listen, he's not a way. He's the way. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. And nobody comes to the Father but through him. So please don't believe the lie that there's multiple ways to God. And that's all lies. That's deception. That's uh, unclean spirits that are teaching that. Jesus is the only way. And he commands all men everywhere to repent. So tonight, tonight, repent. Tonight, turn back to God. Father, we ask you tonight, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Every person watching, baptize them in your Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord. Those of you that are tired and weary, I pray that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit tonight. Those that are on the verge of giving up, those that are just tired, period. I just pray that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit tonight. Pastors, leaders watching, you're tired, man. You're struggling. Tonight is your night. Let God fill you with this Holy Spirit. I want some of you leaders and some of you Christians to remember why you started during the busyness of life and you're weary from doing well. God says, remember why you started. Turn back to me in Jesus' name. Father, tonight I pray, have your way. Fill them up, God. In Jesus' name, Lord, do what only you can do. Satan, you're a liar, you're a deceiver, and we're on to your games. All these other preachers might be scared of you, Satan, but we are, we are not afraid of you here. And you must leave these people now. Every unclean spirit that is dwelling in these people watching, you must go now. We officially evict every unclean spirit. We command you, go up and out now. You have lost your power. These people are not your home. And in Jesus' mighty name, we command you to go right now. You're a liar, Satan, and you're done. You're done. You're evicted. Every unclean spirit that represents Satan's kingdom, you are evicted now in Jesus' name. The Lord rebukes you. Come up and out now. You're bound. You must go into the abyss and never return. We will not play your games. We will not give into your schemes or your works. The Lord rebukes you, Satan. I'm not rebuking Satan. The Lord rebukes you, Satan. I come in Jesus' name. I come in Jesus' authority. You are a liar, and we command you to come up and out now. Satan, you're defeated. You are defeated in Jesus' name. You must leave now in Jesus' name. The Lord rebukes you. We just pray the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit to be released right now. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Bring healing in bodies right now. Come on, if you're in the prayer groups of discord, if you're in the prayer rooms, just begin to pray. Lord, bring healing, bring deliverance, and bring breakthrough right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Man, what an awesome night tonight, guys. I really felt like I was being overly ambitious with this, but I believe the Lord is good. If you want to sow, you can. You can give on the website. You can give on PayPal. You can give on our thing. Guys, tonight, we don't... Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.